Hi, my name is Caitlin and welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance this gospel message of Jesus Christ. We're in our gifted sermon series. Finally, we have been dragging through this and we finally get to some gifts. Right? We've been talking about this. Everybody's been itching. We're like, oh, come on. Where are the gifts? Where's the stuff that I want to talk about when it comes to gifts? And we finally get to a list today. We have a list. Yay! So we're going to talk about a list that's got gifts. But listen to me. Is everybody listening? Listening ears on. Do not forget where we came from. There is a reason that Paul waits until the fourth chapter of Ephesians to start talking about these gifts. Because all the way up until this point, what is the gift? God. And Christians, we've got to wrap our minds around this. Because it gets so easy when we get into these you know, lists and, and the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And today we're going to be talking about the gifts to the church. It gets so easy to put these things up on a pedestal and to say, like, those are the things we're running after. So actually, we, sometimes we don't even say it, but that's what we do. We run after these gifts, but God himself is the greatest gift. The Father has given us complete access to himself, and that is the greatest gift. Jesus Christ has given us himself, all of himself, and that is the greatest gift. The Holy Spirit was given to us as a gift. He is a person, and he's living inside of every believer. That is our gift. We cannot let go of that. That's the gift. And in fact, I'm actually going to jump back a little bit here. I want to I show you this, because this is how Paul starts Ephesians 4. Before he gets into any apostles, evangelists, preachers, teachers, any of that stuff, this is how he starts it. I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling with all humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. And then look at what he goes into here. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Ladies and gentlemen, what is the gift? It's not a list. It's a short list. It's one, and it's God. And that's what Paul's saying. That's how he's starting this book of Ephesians. Do not forget your gift. Do not forget what you have been given. And it is not a power. It is not a thing that you can do. It is a person. It is God. It is Jesus Christ. It is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. That is our gift. Do you promise me, Gospel House, you will not forget that? You promise, because that is an anchor we cannot let go of. We talked about this last week, but ladies and gentlemen, the reason I think people do goofy things in the name of the Holy Spirit, the reason we do weird stuff, the reason people have been hurt by the church when we say, well, this is a move of God, is because we've let go of that anchor. We have forgotten that he is the greatest gift. 
So we've got to hold on to that anchor. And guys, look, I, I, I never, you will never hear this from me. This is going to be a rare one. I never give the enemy more credit than what he's due because he is a liar, he is a snake, he is a scum of the earth. And someday he's going to get what's come and due. But, guys, he's good at distracting us. He's good at taking our eyes off the prize. He's good at convincing us, well, just let your anchor slip this one time. Did God really say, right? That's the, the, first, the first sin, right, with Adam and Eve. Did God really say, don't let go of that anchor? Even if the entire world is telling you that you can let it go for a little bit, do not let go of that anchor. And you know what's incredible? This has always amazed me. The, the depths to which we're tied to our anchor has nothing to do, I know I just told you not to let go, but it has nothing to do with how tightly you hold on to your anchor. It has everything to do with how tightly he holds on to you. And we have a God who will never let go of you, but you've got to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And every single one of us have been called. So as long as we can all promise we're not going to let go of that anchor, we can get into the five-fold ministry. This is the cultural term for what you read today. But can I spoil this a little bit for you? If you look up five-fold ministry in the Bible, it's not in there. Nowhere. There's no Greek word that means five-fold ministry, right? I'm sure there's a Greek word that means five and fold and ministry, but you won't find them together. They are not in there. This is a cultural Christian term, and there's a reason we have to be specific about this, y'all, because we as Christians, we get really funny, and we will start defending these cultural terms that we have when there's no biblical basis for it. And so we get in fights, and we start denominations, because you believe in a five-fold ministry, but I believe in a four-fold ministry. I don't believe that there's any kind of ministry. I, you know, and, and so, but we get in these fights, right? Well, you don't believe that apostles do this, but I believe they do. So we're going to start our own church where apostles do this, right? And we war and war and war and war. And we forget that Paul starts this whole chapter with do everything in your power to maintain the unity of the spirit. Are you kidding me? Right? We take the very thing that is supposed to unite us and we use it to divide us. We don't, but the enemy does. Because as long as we're busy fighting about whether in the Greek there's actually only four things, or in the Greek there's five, as long as we're fighting about that, we're not doing anything for God's kingdom. We're fighting over how many ministries there are. And it's ridiculous. So I'm going to throw it all out. Yeah, what's up now, culture? And we're just going to call it the Holy Spirit's ministry because that's what it is, right? That's exactly what this is. It is the Holy Spirit's ministry that he has invited us to participate in. But here's the thing. When it's the Holy Spirit's ministry, who's got to step off that driver's seat? Me, right? Who's in the driver's seat? Well, apostles, because apostles, they wear, the, they wear the overalls. They're the, no, the Holy Spirit. Well, prophets, they hear from, no, the Holy Spirit is in the driver's seat. 
I've got to say this to you, just in case some of you might have chronic earwax that's been building up over the year that we've been doing this Gospel House thing. You cannot walk in the Spirit your way. Did you hear that? You cannot walk in the Spirit man's way. Yet over and over again we try to. And the church is in the position it's in today because we have been trying and trying and trying to do the Spirit's work man's way. We've applied business practice and all that stuff, man's way of doing corporate America, and we've applied it to the church because this automatic make it take off. And has it? I, I would argue it hasn't. Because we sure have lost our influence and power, haven't we? So we've got to get back. But unfortunately, getting back means letting go of cultural power. And it means embracing cultural weakness so that God can make us strong. That's what we don't like in that equation. So let's walk in the spirit man's way. No, let's not. (laughs) Let's walk in the spirit God's way. Let's let go of walking in it man's way. And let's do it God's way. If we're going to do the Holy Spirit's ministry, we got to do it God's way. So we're going to look at the Holy Spirit's ministry. What is it? And maybe more importantly, what isn't it? What does it do? And how does it do it? So first, what is it? And I have to be upfront and honest. I am in a camp. I used to teach English. And when I taught English, anytime people did research paper, as an English teacher, you always teach people. You have to review your sources for bias, right? All of us should be doing that anyway, even when we're watching the news. Identify your sources for bias. So I'm going to be very, very nice to you all and tell you, I have a bias here. Review your source for bias, all right? I've also prayed a lot about this, so I'm hoping this is the Holy Spirit coming through. I have a pet peeve with this. Oh, surprise, surprise, Jeremy's got a pet peeve. I have a pet peeve with this fivefold ministry because so often when I have seen it used, I have seen it abused. And when Paul lays out this fivefold ministry, I do not believe at all that he laid this out to be a hierarchy, that he laid this out to be a system of church governance. You know, you've got your apostles who do this, you've got your prophets who do this, you've got your evangelists who do this, you've got your preachers who do this, you've got your teachers who do this. They do those things at the gospel house. This person is our apostle. This person's our prophet. This person's our, all that stuff. There are churches who set it up that way. I don't like it. I don't like it at all because I don't think that's what Paul's doing. And I think the reason we jump to that is because when we read this passage in the Bible, we take that isolated verse and we use it how we like. But we don't look at it as a whole. Because look at what Paul says. This is how he opens it. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We have hit this every single week in this series. You have been called. Every single one of you. Every single person sitting here today, every single person watching online, you have been called. That's not a debate. Jesus Christ himself has called you. 
each and every one of you. The calling is on you. We've got to remember who's Paul writing to. Right? This isn't American church, because in American church, the only people who matter are leaders. And so when I write letters, the only people I address are leaders. And then the leaders distribute that information. That's not who Paul's writing to. Paul is writing to the church. So who's called? The leaders? Everyone. The lead pastor? Everyone is called. Everyone is called. Because the second you say yes to Jesus Christ, he puts a calling on your life. Actually, if you want to get theological about it, the calling existed long before you said yes. Right? We don't like this. That's too close to Calvinism. Right? God has predestined you for the work you are to do. That's not Jeremy's words, you Calvinist. It's in the Bible. We talked about this last week. Right? How do you, or, how do you argue predestination with a God who knows the beginning from the end? Right? He already knows what decision you're going to make. Does that mean you don't have free will to make it? No. Stop putting the two against each other. But he has set apart good works for you to do before you were even born, before you were even conceived. God has set this calling on your life. And now it's your job to walk in it. We stress so much, what's my calling? What's my calling? Just walk in it. Just walk in it. But that's the thing. You have to choose to walk in it. You have to choose to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. But make no mistake, that calling is on all of you, all of us. Look at what Paul continues in verse 7. It says, To each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, the Greek, the Greek here, that men, that last word there, that does not mean males. It does not mean, sorry, ladies, you don't get a calling. That's, that's the Greek word that means men as far as all of humanity. It includes everyone. Do you see the language Paul is using? Everyone is included. Do you see that? Can you see it? As if the first three chapters weren't enough that you have a calling on your life? This calling is on your life which means there is no hierarchy in calling, right? When, so when Paul then gives us this list of gifts to the church, he's not saying this one's better than this one. He's not saying that. Don't forget the context, says your English teacher and says your Lord and Savior. Don't take his word out of context because these gifts that he has given Paul then jumps right into, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Now see, this is where we get into our camps, right? So we've got some as, some as, some as, some as. You'll notice there isn't a some as before teachers. So some people say pastors and teachers is one, one fold. So that's where you only get four folds on that one. So if you believe that, I'm sorry, you get one less fold. We don't believe any of it because we believe it's all the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing, guys. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, all of those, I do not believe 
that those are positions to be attained. I don't believe that Paul is saying, all right, here's apostles, this is number one, get up there. You know, it's kind of like youth pastors in the American church. Nobody actually wants to be a youth pastor. Nobody's called to be a youth pastor. It's just a stepping stone to lead pastor. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a youth pastor. I'm not called to it, but I'm just, I want to be a lead pastor someday, so this is the next step. And I think that's why the youth in our nation, the youth in our church, are so confused. Because I think there are people who are called to be youth pastors. But church culture has convinced them that that position isn't prestigious enough. You need to be a lead pastor. That's where all the power and prestige and fame are. We need more Stephen Furtick's out there. That's where the money is at. And so we've got people who aren't walking in their calling. And can I spoil this for you? What happens when you don't walk in your calling? There is no power. It's the same thing with this list, y'all. I don't believe that these are church positions to be filled. Because if that were the case, would it be all-inclusive? Paul just got done using all of this inclusive language, right? It's for everyone. It's for everyone. It's for everyone, except for these. These are just for individuals. You can only have one apostle at a church. You can only have one prophet. You can only have one evangelist. You can only have one teacher. You can have only have one pastor. These aren't positions to be attained. And the higher you get up on the list, the more honor you get. And I look at this list myself, and I told you guys this last week. I, you know, God called me when we started this church to be an apostle. You know, I read Galatians 1 after I got done reading it. I said, God, what does this mean? And he said, Jeremy, I've called you to be an apostle. Now, there's some people, we'll get this when we talk about what apostles are, but there are some people who just, they, they turned off the podcast at that point. They said, nope, apostles don't exist anymore. This guy's nuts. Hide your wives, hide your kids. This guy's preaching blasphemy. Get away from him, and they'll never come back to the gospel house. Sorry. But God called me to be an apostle. He called me to follow Jesus and to do whatever Jesus says, to run after him with all of my heart. But I'm here, right? So has God called me to be a pastor? And I'm here, so has God called me to be a teacher? And I'm listening to God and hopefully I'm saying what he's saying, so wait, has God, God, what's going on here? And, and what am I? Am I an apostle? Am I a prophet? Am I a preacher? Am I a teacher? Am I an evangelist? I'm preaching the gospel. What, what am I? Guys, these aren't silos, right? You can do more than one. Anybody feel the freedom? Oh, thank goodness I don't have to just be an evangelist. These were never meant to be silos. These were gifts to the church. And guess what? We go back to it. But when it's the Holy Spirit's gift to the church, what do you do when somebody gives you a gift? You use it, right? We talked about this, I think, in week one, right? When somebody gives you a, like a gift card and you don't use it, it's kind of like, what the heck, man? Give me the gift card back. I'll use it. Right? You go over to their house and they still have the gift card. Or you go over to the house and they've still got the couch or whatever wrapped into cellophane. Like You didn't unwrap the couch yet, man? I'll take it if you don't want it. 
but we got to walk in it. These gifts are to be used, but when we use them, we got to use them the Spirit's way. We can't just go through our spiritual gift inventory and, well, I really want to be an apostle, so yes, I do that, yes, I do that, yes, oh, look, I became an apostle. And then all I'm doing are apostle things. Sorry, guys, I don't evangelize. I don't reach out to the lost. Somebody told me this once. I've told you guys this before. But he, he, I think he said it to me because he thought I'd be super impressed. But he said, uh, pastors don't beget sheep, which means pastors don't birth sheep, right? And so he was saying that to say pastors shouldn't be out evangelizing. Pastors shouldn't be out bringing new people into the flock. That's not their job. They just pastor the flock that's there. Stop compartmentalizing gifts. That's not how the Holy Spirit wants us to offer. That's not what he offers. That's not how he wants us to operate. He offers us so much more than that. Do you think Jesus wants you to just walk in one thin slice of him, or do you think he wants you to walk into the fullness of him? I think he wants us to walk in the fullness of him, y'all, which means tomorrow I might be an apostle. The next day I might be a prophet. The next second I might be a teacher. (laughs) It, It... it changes, but he uses me how he wants to use me, and we've got to be open to that. So let's run through this list real quick. Guys, I'm not going to lie to you. When I was writing this sermon, I texted Jana on Thursday as I was doing this, and I said, I hate this sermon. I did. That's what I told her. I hate this sermon because this is boring to me, but we've got to do it. We have to, because here's the problem. This is like what we talked about with the fivefold ministry. There is no term fivefold ministry in the Bible. Church culture has kind of grabbed onto that thing and run away with it, and it's taken on a life of its own. The same thing goes with these terms. So I put up here, just so that you think I'm super smart, way smarter than I am, I put up here the word, and then you see the Greek word. And I am going to go through here, and I am going to tell you exactly what the Bible literally says about these positions, okay? Because there's a difference in some of them. Apostles. The biblical definition of an apostle. We see this word used 78 times. I put the phonetic spelling up there. I'm not going to try to say it because I won't get it right, and so I'm just not even going to try. You can try it when you get home and feel good about yourself. But apostles, when used in the Bible, it's used 78 times, and the majority of the times that it's used, it's talking about a specific group of people. So the disciples of Jesus, the the disciples of Jesus who they discipled, those are called apostles, but the majority of the time, that's what those are called. Uh, An apostle, literally in the Greek, if we look at the Strong's Greek Dictionary, it is an ambassador of the gospel, officially a commissioner of Christ, an apostle, a messenger, he that is sent. Don't you love dictionary definitions? I always love the ones, what is an apostle? An apostle. Well, yeah, no kidding. Like it gives you the definition or the the word in the definition. Come on, man. But here it is. Apostles are set apart, called by Jesus, and sent out. There is another, this is, this is from the Bible sense lexicon. Now, I'll tell you guys a secret here. 
but different translations of the Bible, they translate different words differently. You know how like every English translation gets little things different and they're all different? Part of that is because in the English language, if I walk up to you and I say, what's up, dog? Somebody who is taking those words literally is really confused by that statement, right? Because they're, and where's the canine, right? So, So there are translations of the Bible that the NIV is one of them. Uh, the New Living Translation uh, is another one. <laughs> Guys, New Living Translation is one of the least accurate English versions of the Bible. I just want to throw that warning out there. Okay, and we also have to the difference between translations and then like the message. The message is not a translation of the Bible. That does not mean you can't read it. It does not mean you can't learn from it. But just know it is not a translation. It goes very, very, very deep into this sense lexicon. So what, what the sense looks at is, what, what is this passage really trying to communicate? What's it trying to make the authors feel? The problem we get when we get sense in there is with sense, it is so easy for me to put my theology into it. That's why I like the New American Standard Bible. It's when they go through and they grade on accuracy, it is the, the English version, the most literal translation of the Bible. Okay, and so are there some things that get goofed up a little bit? I, maybe, but I want God's word literally. That's what I want. I don't really want to know how things make me feel and, you know, all that stuff. And so, but this, now, now listen to this, though. We just talked about what an apostle is literally in the Greek. Now look at what this sense lexicon says. An apostle is an envoy of Jesus Christ commissioned directly by him or by the other apostles. Normally, someone who has been taught directly by Jesus and who is invested with the authority to speak on his behalf. Okay, now, with that in mind, there are some who believe apostles don't exist anymore. That, that is, that's one thing in this list that God doesn't do anymore. Because in order to be an apostle, you had to walk with Jesus, the physical Jesus, right? He had to literally be there teaching you. There was that generation, and there was one more generation removed. And when that was done, whoosh, no more apostles. They're not around anymore. I don't like that. And this isn't, this isn't a, well, Jeremy doesn't like it because he, he's an apostle. No, that's not it. What I don't like is the implication that that leads us down. Question, is your Savior alive or is he dead? Boy, because we say he's alive, but we sure act a lot like he's dead, don't we? Well, he can't call anybody else. Why? Because he's dead? Well, no, he's alive, but he just doesn't call anyone else. Huh? You get it? Is he alive or is he dead? Is he still working or not? Because I don't see, I read, I've read a lot of the Bible. And I don't see God as a God who gives gifts and then says, just kidding. That was good for that time, right? Because that's the other thing. Well, well, God's given these gifts because he was just getting the church started. But now the church is established, so we don't need those gifts anymore. Have Have you taken a look at the landscape of the church today? You call this established? I think we need the gifts more than ever right now. And we need every gift that he's willing to give us. So I personally do not believe that apostles don't exist anymore. But we also have to be careful. 
because there are a lot of people who tend to go off the deep end with apostleship. They make it a position to be obtained, right? I hear directly from Jesus. You can't tell me otherwise. Maybe I can't, but the word of God sure can. And if you are not in line with it, you're wrong. I don't care what you heard from this person you think is Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't speak contrary to this. He does not. But we trump up this position to where we think. And guys, remember, that's what we talked about last week. That is exactly what Paul's going up against in the Ephesian church. These people have, have let things slip. And they've said, well, we have special revelation from God. This is how we do it. It's not how he does it in here. Why is the church in America in so much trouble right now? We have special revelation from God, so we do it this way. It's not in here. We've got to get to church in here, this church. And when we do, apostleship is not a crown to wear. When did Jesus ever use apostleship to rule over people? Apostleship is a towel that's tucked into your waist that you use when you wash other people's feet. Guys, that's what every gift God gives is. And all of these things, we've got to remember, these are gifts to the church, not gifts to me so that I can march around with my apostle chest. Peons, get out of my way. That's not what it is. It's a gift to the church so that I can serve selflessly the church. Same thing with prophets. It is a gift to the church. You know, this, this term is a little less debated, partially because we find it 529 times in the Bible. That's a lot. Old and New Testament. There's, there's a, a Hebrew word that, that means the same thing as the Greek word. And it means somebody who hears from God and who speaks what God says. In the Old Testament, prophets were God's mouthpiece, Right? When God wanted to communi communicate to his people, he spoke to a prophet. The prophet spoke to his people. Now listen, we got to be careful here. Because since the New Testament, we now have access to the Holy Spirit, right? Every single one of you can hear from God. You do not need to go to a prophet to hear the word of the Lord. But please remember, Paul is operating under that. The Holy Spirit already fell. The Holy Spirit's already moving. It's already doing its thing. Paul comes along, becomes a Christian, writes this letter to the Ephesians, and he still lists prophets as a gift to the church. So the fact that we can all hear from God does not nullify that prophets are still out there and are still in operation in the church today as a gift to the church. It's still there. Paul still names it as a gift. And like I said, I don't think God gives gifts and then pulls back. Nope, you don't need it anymore. Just kidding. It was good for this church, but not this church. I don't believe he does that. I don't see any basis in the Bible where God does that, where he gives gifts and then takes them away. Because if we do, is grace a gift from God? Is grace a gift from God? Yes. Does he take that away too? Right? So which gifts does he take away and which do you get to keep? You see how this becomes a slippery slope pretty quick? So we've got to get clear on this. We're going to talk a lot more about prophecy. I know you all are just licking your chops because that's the one you want to hear about. But let me say one thing about prophecy. Prophets, Old and New Testaments, Testament prophets, hear from God and speak 
from God. Holy Spirit is looking to humble some prophets out there. You do not speak for God. Does everybody hear that? Prophets do not speak for God. You speak from God. There's a world of difference. I know it sounds like splitting hairs. Prophets, you do not get to interject your opinion in God's prophecy. That's, I have, I have got, oh, this burns me. Because I have seen so many people get hurt by people who do that. And, and I will be honest, you know, I've, I've received words for people, and I've got to step back. Because I'll give a word, and then I'll start to tell the person what I think it means. God doesn't need me to tell them what I think it means. You trust God? Then let him move. Give the word, and let that be enough. We don't need to put man's way into God's way. I did that with George a couple weeks ago. I went and gave George a word, and after I gave it to him, I started, I started to tell him what I thought it meant, and I had to stop myself and be like, actually, that, that's me. This is what I, like, I, I, I think it means this, but that's not what God actually said. All he told me to tell you is this. And we, th- that's what we need to do as prophets. When we prophesy, we need to say, this is what God told me. Give it, get off it. Because we need God's word, right? We don't need man's word. And so we've got to give it and get off it. Evangelists. I'm going to dig down a little bit into this one. We actually only see this term three times in the New Testament. It only appears three times. Uh, the other two do not give us a ton of context. Uh, we're told about Philip the evangelist. And then we're told in, oh man, I'm blanking on what the other one is, Timothy. I can't remember. But anyway, and we're told, do the work of an evangelist. That's all we're told. It doesn't really tell us what it is. But here's the thing. Evangelist is taken from the word that we use that means the gospel or the good news, right? So evangelist in the Greek literally means a proclaimer of the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, church cultures run away because if you evangelize, you're automatically going to whom? The lost, right? You don't evangelize inside a church. That's silly. Why would you ever preach the gospel inside a group full of Christians? Because they need it more than anybody else. That's the problem with the church today. We've stopped proclaiming the gospel to people who call themselves Christians, and we wonder why we've gotten so out of whack. But to evangelize literally means to proclaim the gospel. Well, to who? It doesn't matter. You just proclaim it. That's what evangelists do. When you evangelize, that's what you do. You proclaim the gospel. That's the biblical definition. Pastors, this is actually the only time this Greek word is found in the New Testament. Isn't that interesting? There is a word that often gets translated. It's it's presbyteros is the other word that gets translated as shepherd, overseer, elder. Uh, And that means the same thing. It's, It's similar to a pastor, an overseer, that same kind of thing. Here's what's interesting. Presbyteros is a position, right? We see lists where they name off. If you want to attain this position, if you want to be an elder in the church, this is the gospel house used this when we decided who our elders were going to be. It says you've got to do this, you've got to do this, and it gives you the list of qualifications of elders of the church. A position. Why is that interesting, Pastor Jeremy? Because in this list that we've turned into positions within the fivefold ministry, it doesn't use that word. That means a position. It uses a completely different word. 
So are these positions to be attained? But it means the same thing. It's, it means the same thing as presbyters, something very similar. A shepherd, the way that a shepherd attends to his flock of sheep, pastors attend to their flock of sheep, to their congregation. They take care of them. They care for them. And then the last one, teachers. This one is used 59 times in the New Testament. I probably don't need to dive too deep into it because we all know what this word means because we have a similar word in our dictionary and it means the same thing. I will say this though. What do teachers teach? They teach exactly what God tells them to teach. Right? What do apostles apostle? Exactly what God tells them to apostle. What do prophets prophesy? Exactly what God, you get picking up on this? We do what God says. All right, you guys done with the list? I'm done with the list. Here's a big question. What do we do with it, right? Because I, I honestly, guys, I, I really don't think God cares what we call it. I, I really don't think that God's up there like, Jeremy's calling it the Holy Spirit's ministry, and I clearly wanted it to be called the fivefold ministry. I don't think God's doing that. I don't think he's wringing his hands because we're calling it the wrong stuff. But I do think it grieves the Holy Spirit when we don't use it correctly. When he gives us gifts and we don't use it correctly. That new couch that you got me that I still have wrapped in the cellophane, well, I took it out to Lake Erie and I tied it up to my jet or my boat and we're motoring with it across the lake. That's not what you use a couch for, right? So the question isn't what's it called. The question is, what does it do? What do we do with all of this stuff? We equip the saints for the work of service to build up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. If there is truly unity in the Spirit's ministry, if we are all walking in the Spirit's ministry, there's always unity in the Spirit. We'll get there whether we're walking in it or not. This is what should be happening regularly in the body. The saints of the church are equipped. Equipped to what? Sit on their dumpers on Sunday morning and then leave here unchanged? No. No. They are equipped to do the work. Guys, when you leave here on Sundays, I, I honestly, I don't care if a thousand people come up to me and say, wow, that was such a great sermon. I don't care. That's, I don't mean to be ungrateful. Everybody likes to be encouraged, but, and I don't mean to be ungrateful, but are you putting your boots on and working when you leave here? That's what I want to see. I don't want to hear that my sermon touched your heart. I want to hear that it got you to work. I'll know that it touched your heart when I see you working for God's kingdom, right? And that's what everything we do should be about. Not just my preaching, but when we're in here fellowshipping together, when we're talking to one another, we should be spurring one another on. 
it should make us want to put our gloves on and get to work. Time's short. The harvest is ready. Let's put our boots on and let's get to work. That's what we should be doing. That's what all of this should be doing if we're walking in the Spirit's ministry. So if you leave here and you're quite content sitting on your couch the other six days of the week, the Spirit's ministry isn't being done. If the Spirit's ministry is being done, when you leave here, you will be a changed person. And you will be about the Father's business. It equips the saints for work. It builds up the body of Christ, His church. We see the unity of the faith, and this is condemning today. Because when you look at the church, do you see unity or do you see division? So is the Spirit's ministry working? Or do we need to do a better job at seeking Him, at walking with Him? We grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We see mature Christians grow, not shallow Christians fill the pews or seats or wherever we are. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, build shallow Christians. Everywhere it says build mature Christians. And that means your numbers probably aren't ever going to get up to the thousands. It's really hard to build a thousand mature Christians all at once. Really hard. Jesus only did 12. I do not believe, I've heard some people say, if he only did 12, we should only do 12. I don't think that's, an, I don't think that's a formula. I don't think that's what that means. But we're to build mature Christians. And here's a big one. We are to see the fullness of Christ blossoming in his body. This body should exhibit the fullness of Christ. That does not mean that Jeremy walks out the fullness of Christ. That does not mean, again, guys, stop siloing it. Stop making it hierarchy. That does not mean that the pastor walks in the fullness of Christ. I want to. But it means the body walks in the fullness of Christ. All of us together walk in the fullness of Christ. That means each of us brings something different to the table. Each of us brings a different flavor. And then this last part, we are not tossed about by false doctrine. And can I put on my shepherding hat for a moment and break some of y'all's legs? Did you guys ever hear that analogy? I've heard it taught before. I don't know how prevalent it is, but sometimes shepherds, we don't have a lot of shepherds around us, so lots of us don't know what it means. But sometimes when you have a sheep that strays frequently and keeps going off, the shepherd has to break the sheep's leg to keep it from straying. And it's a loving thing. It sounds harsh, right? It's a loving thing because you're keeping the sheep from straying and getting into danger. So you break its leg so it stays put. Pastors in the American church today are terrified to break a single sheep's leg. Because the second we speak the truth, in love or not, the second we speak the truth and go to break a sheep's leg, that sheep finds a different church. No, 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 you're not breaking this leg. I'm going to go over here and hear what I want to hear. Right? But shepherding hat, taking off my apostle hat now, my preaching and teaching hat. Ow. Shepherding hat, 
We've got a lot of people getting blown around by false doctrine. A lot of people. You read every book you can get your hands on. You listen to every podcast you can listen to. Ladies and gentlemen, the Holy Spirit's ministry is steady. It's called a straight and narrow for a reason. And there are a lot of people. I've walked with y'all. We do life. I know you don't think we do life all the time, but we do life. And every time something new comes along, oh, this is fun. Oh, Jesus is this? Let's go over. But God doesn't change, right? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we take in all this information and we keep running after these new, new things. Yay. And they're shiny and they look cool, right? Stop. Because again, if you're running after, if every month you're changing your core values, if every month, you know, now look, this doesn't mean calling doesn't change, right? This doesn't mean Jesus, today I'm called to do this. Tomorrow he might call me to do something else. But I'm going to follow him wherever he goes. That's not being tossed around by winds of doctrine. That's following Jesus. But if God is changing, if, if God is moving, if my core values are moving all over the place and I'm constantly running after new things and shiny things, guys, you're being blown around and you've got to anchor down into this. You've got to make sure that you are anchored in the word first. God bless you, Jake. That you are anchored in the word first so that you aren't blown around. Does that anchor hold or not, right? And so we've got to make sure we do this. The Spirit's ministry is steady because being a disciple of Jesus means every day we're growing more mature, not less mature. And so if you're failing to see that maturity, you've got to change something. And to change it, we've got to look at how does the Spirit work. First, unity. What's Paul start all of this off with? Unity. What do we see so little of in the church today? Unity. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, a quick hitter here. Unity of the Spirit belongs to whom? The Spirit. Right? We've got to get this right. Christian, be so very careful. There is a passage in the Old Testament that is absolutely terrifying. And I don't think we realize how terrifying it is. It comes from 1 Kings 22. All of the prophets in Israel, every single prophet in Israel, tells King Ahab and King Jehoshaphat to go to war. Yes, you'll be victorious. Of course you will. And they give, you know, they give all their like prophet symbols and stuff. You will put on these iron horns and gore the bulls of, you know, whatever, prophets, they speak weird. So they go through all this stuff. Of course you'll be victorious. Jehoshaphat's not entirely convinced, though. He says, isn't, isn't there a prophet of the Lord, like an official prophet of the Lord that we can talk to? So they go and find this guy named Micaiah. Micaiah walks in, and he says, well, Ahab, 
first and foremost, you're going to die. Second of all, you're not going to win anything. You're going to get stomped, and you're all going to be scattered, and none of y'all is going to be able to find each other when they get done with you. And they all say, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a second. Every single other prophet said that we were going to be victorious. What's your deal, man? And Micaiah says this to them. The Lord said, Who will entice Ahab to go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said to this, while another said to that. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. The Lord said, How? And he said, I will go and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Then he said, you are to entice him and also prevail. Go and do so. Conformity is not unity. Even though every single person in this room might agree that the sky is green today, if the Holy Spirit says it's blue, unity of the Spirit says the sky is blue. You get it? It is the Holy Spirit's truth. He's not asking your opinion on it. So look, we can all be walking in unity together. But if it's not the Spirit's unity, it is not unity. It's just not. This, my father-in-law told me this years ago, and it was like, what? Mind-blowing, right? Because what do we get preached today? That as long as we agree, we're in unity, right? That's not what the Bible teaches, though. Unity of the Spirit is the Spirit's. Now, there's good news in this, because here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, if I am walking with the Holy Spirit in unity, do I need to worry about whether you and I are in unity or not? I don't, right? Because if I'm walking with the Spirit in unity and you're walking with the Spirit of, in unity, guess what? We are automatically in unity, right? So I don't need to worry about what, how you're walking. I just need to keep my eyes on Jesus and walk in the Spirit. And if we are all walking in the Spirit together, we will be in unity, what we don't like about this church, what the corporate church doesn't like about this, is that if that's the case, I don't get cookie-cutter Christians. I cannot say, we have this discipling program, and at the end, every single disciple looks like this. God doesn't do that. God doesn't do it. And that goes back to the fact that every single person in this room has been called. You have been called to something just as unique as you. But you've got to walk in it. Because that's your unity of the Spirit. Listen, y'all, if you all come along and say, I'm going to be just like Jeremy. Stop, please. I say that to my children all the time. Right? Jan will, you know, say something like, oh, I wonder if they're going to be like their dad when they grow up. I sure hope not. I sure hope not. I hope they aim way higher than that like the cross of Jesus higher than that. I make no effort to tell my children that I am perfect. My daughter Jubilee calls me her second best dad because God's her first best dad. That's how I disciple my kids. I'm not telling you you have to disciple your kids like that, but listen, y'all, I am going to use every 
everything, every fiber, every power of my being to point my kids to Jesus. I don't need them to think that their dad is great here on this earth. I don't need them to think I'm great because, guys, I want them to get to heaven. I don't want cool eulogies at my funeral because that's all thinking their dad's great on earth will do. But I want them to get to heaven. And so if I bypass my glory, you know, on Father's Day, I don't get any presents. They can give all their presents to Jesus. I'm just kidding. But if I bypass my glory and give it to him and point them straight to him so that they can give him glory, I get to be with them forever. I get to be with them for eternity. And if that's what it takes, I will do it every single time. That's what unity in the Spirit does. Unity in the Spirit says we don't all look the same, but we are all united in Christ. Paul says we speak the truth in love. We grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You hear this term a lot. Have you guys heard? Unity in diversity. Have you guys heard that? It's so popular today. We love it, right? We get all of our pop stars and all of the recording artists like Michael Jackson and you know all the biggest names in the music industry to sing We Are the World and hold hands and look at us, unity and diversity right? Country music singers singing with rock and roll artists. How diverse we are, but united. How's that working out? Because guys, I, I would venture to say since that word, that term became cool, unity and diversity, we've only grown farther apart. There's no unity. And the more we preach tolerance and acceptance, and the further it gets. Guys, the only way to do this the only way you can possibly have unity and diversity is through the Holy Spirit. It's the only way. Because as long as I am trying, as long as our differences are just supposed to be united, it'll, it'll never work. It's threatening to my differences, right? Because there's always a chance that somebody's differences are better than my differences. And so it will never work. The only way to get there is unity in the Spirit. The world doesn't like that. The world doesn't like somebody telling them we need the Holy Spirit to do this. But church, part of the reason is because the world doesn't see it right now. If it saw us being completely united in our differences, we would change their mind. I guarantee you we would change your mind. That does not mean apostles are up here, prophets are down here, teachers are way, way, way down there. It's not what that means. It means we are all walking together, brothers and sisters in Christ, completely united. Because when the Holy Spirit does his ministry, we do the hard work of speaking the truth in love. We can, because we're all brothers and sisters, right? You guys have siblings? You say hard things to your siblings, right? Sometimes it's not always in love. But you're allowed to say hard things to your siblings. You're allowed to smack them upside the head. When me and my little brother, I used to tell him all the time how he should act. You better believe it. I probably should have been listening to some of my advice back then. But we tell our family what we're feeling, what we're thinking. And we don't worry about them running away, right? 
because we're a family. So are we a family in Christ? Can we speak hard truth to one another? The world will never be able to get there because it can't. The world can't hear hard truth. As soon as it hears hard truth, it's an assault on ourselves, on our actual individual self, and so we run from hard truth. But guys, if the church could do it, if the world looked at this church, if the world looked at the gospel house and said, well, hold on a minute, you don't agree with the stuff that he's saying on Sunday. Well, yeah, I know, but we're a family. Well, hold on a minute. We don't think that God predestines us for da-da-da-da-da. Well, yeah, but we're a family. And we talk about our differences. And we speak the truth in love. And we build each other up. Because ultimately, why are we here? We want to make each other look like Jesus. Right? You don't just speak the truth in love because it feels good. You do it because you've got an anchor. You do it because you've got a purpose. And our purpose, all of our purpose, not the pastor's purpose, not the apostle's purpose, not the prophet's purpose, everyone's purpose is to make one another look more like Jesus in your own unique way. This is truly unity and diversity. And it's not a warm, fuzzy term. It's for real. Whether you're called to be an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher, or any combination of those things, you are here to build this body so that it's built up in love. I know I'm a broken record up here, but can I stress to you the importance of this? Ladies and gentlemen, this church needs you. This church needs you. This body needs you. I'm going to make you do the cheesy thing. Nobody likes to do this whenever the speaker at the conferences does it. I want you all to look around you right now. Look around. Don't just look at your family. Look at everybody. Look at every single person here. Can I tell you something? They need you. Every person in this room needs you. All right, I know you guys want to do it because it's the second part of the cheesy conference speaker, but turn to the person next to you and say, you need me, don't you? Everybody acts like they hate it, but everybody really loves it. You can tell by how much people talk afterwards. You all love it. Guys, we need each other. You know, high school musical. We're all in this together. We need each other. The gospel house needs you. And if you hold back, if God, listen, listen, please listen and please hear this today. If God has called you to something, Look, there are some great things. It took me forever before I could even verbalize that I wanted to be a lead pastor. I was scared of it. Partially because I didn't really think I was good enough. I didn't think that, that God would really do that in me. But I was terrified to verbalize that. There are some callings we're just scared of. There are some callings we don't want to say it because we're afraid we're going to look silly. But ladies and gentlemen, if you don't walk in the calling God has on your life, you are not the one losing out. 
we are. You're losing out too because you don't get a walk in that power. But guys, the Gospel House Church loses out. I need you. We need each other. Doggone it, guys, we are a family. And we need to walk with one another in the Holy Spirit's ministry. I don't care what we want to call it, but we need each other. So do you want Christ's body to grow? Do you want this church to grow? And I'm not talking about growth in numbers. That's great. And I firmly believe as we start walking as a healthy church, as we start growing mature Christians, we'll grow in numbers. Mature things grow, right? Ask the hecklingers. Mature things grow, right? We want this body to grow. And that doesn't start with adding more programs. I've become more and more convinced with this since we started this church. It requires you. It requires each individual part doing its job, doing what God has called you to do. Ladies and gentlemen, if you walk out of here and get nothing else, I empower and equip you to walk in the power the Holy Spirit has given you into that calling. Stop holding back. I cannot take it. I need you to step into that calling. Jesus Christ needs you to step into that calling. There is too much power. There's too much power being wasted because we won't step into it. So church, can we step into it? We have said this every single week. Every week has been step into the calling, step into the calling, step into the calling, step into it. That's your altar call. Step into it. Step into that calling that Christ has called you to. And I promise you, this church is going to explode. And not so that the gospel house is great. Not so that we all wear our gospel house t-shirts around and everybody says, oh wow, you're part of that cool church that's really growing over there. No, it's so that then we can come alongside all the other churches. And then we start, as the gospel house, we start functioning as that individual member of the entire body of Christ. You see how it just keeps going? And then eventually we influence the American church and the American church steps beside the Korean church and it all starts to grow and we step into the fullness of Christ and Jesus comes back for his bride. Do you see it? This is what's at stake here. But it doesn't happen until you step into that calling. So will you step into the calling? Let's pray. Jesus, you have called each and every person here into a glorious calling, into a glorious purpose. And so, Father, Holy Spirit, right now, I pray you would throw off everything that culture has built up, everything about prestige or position or there's, there's a higher thing to attain to, everything. Throw the hierarchy out. And Jesus, help us to step into what you've called us to because there is no higher calling than obedience to Jesus Christ, no matter what that obedience is. Holy Spirit, give us the boldness. Give us, give, just help us to squeeze that anchor and to step into everything, into the fullness of Christ that you've promised us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Gospel House podcast. We pray that you are pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button, leave us a rating, and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house backslash connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you. And remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough. Thank you.